three, two, one. Let's, Let's go! go! <laughs> Yes, I am the host of the PBE Podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, and joined by Stan the Man Keith as a co-host. And uh, and today was was really special. It's a Friday. It's the end of the week. You're stacked up with meetings and tasks and work. Uh, but today we got a very special guest that swung by the office on his way through, and uh, and and we'll talk about what yeah, dropped out. Grace to stop off. Yes, uh, and Lou, please introduce yourself. Uh, my name's Lou Kleinhands, and as uh, Troy just indicated, uh, I'm I'm on my way to uh, May River Month, and uh, um, I have the honor and privilege to be doing some things uh, together with both of these gentlemen in the in the future. And uh, it was my opportunity to meet them for the first time, right and on. it's been an honor. Thank right you very on. much. Likewise, Lou. Yeah, likewise, so. I. You know, I, I dropped out from the show is, is you know, for me, you personally and getting to know kind of who you are. You work with veterans. You help them down uh, the rivers. Right. And 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 so, so a concept that hit me right when you said that was we we've done some work with Iron Freedom Foundation. I don't know if you're familiar, but they do something similar in the Devil's River in Texas. They uh -huh. take veterans down the river and, yeah. and the the one of the president or CEO, um, he says, you know, there's a study where. If you put an individual next to a body of water, they have like endorphins higher than if you're not next to a body of water. Yeah, like there yeah. is something about being in water, being around water for us that like lifts us up, you know, and, and I, I would imagine you felt this. Yeah. You've seen well, we that. are mostly water, right? That's yeah. right. So, What's being that? a Jersey you boy, go. you know, I grew up on the ocean, so <laughs> it's in my blood. <laughs> and now, one of these days we'll talk about oysters too. So. Oh, that's right. Uh, now it's got to be a hydrogen thing, huh? Is there is there some kind of hydrogen thing coming off the big body of water? You know, what's actually physically doing that? There's got to be some some chemical communication. chemical communication. Uh, but you know, what's the name of the nonprofit? Is it a nonprofit? How, what's the story on that, real quick? You're referring to uh, what's called Warriors on Cataract. And uh, this was spearheaded by a guy by the name of Fred Solheim, Solheim mm -hmm. who incidentally is uh, just coming out after having a six bypass uh, surgery wow. and, and, and beating all the odds mm -hmm. in terms of his recovery. But um, we, um, we run um, uh, trips for disabled veterans down the Colorado River through Cataract Canyon, uh, typically do two to three trips uh, each spring, uh, one's typically for uh, um, uh, special forces and one, wow. one's for the uh, Marines. And then we have an open manifest. And then we do two to three separate, uh, literally all female trips. Whoa. Uh, the crews, everybody, it's all totally female. Right and, uh, um, and these have proven to be- So you get to, you don't get to go on. I don't get to go on that one. Unless I'm feeling like, what's the terminology? No, never mind. <laughs> uh, uh, no, yeah. um, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have gone there. God damn it. <laughs> but over the, it, water the, the whole intent is to help mitigate the suicide issue, the suicide oh, yeah. problem. In oh, our yeah. vets, which is a tragedy. Oh yeah, and, uh, no, so. it's big, and, and and it's it's effective. And yeah, the whole, whole whole effectiveness has to do with uh, getting them out to nature, but so so importantly, getting them together with with one another. Right, and uh, because right. a lot of these folks come out of uh, service having you know undergone incredible uh, situations and depending on one another, uh, and then Intimate, and then yeah. are totally separated from them and thrown back into a society that. 
really can't relate That's to right. what, what they've experienced. Right. So getting them together wow. with one another, it just does a lot of good. So right yeah. on. thank you for asking about that. Yeah, yeah. well, how does so. someone get a hold of that? How does someone get involved? Well, Warriors and Cataract can be found uh, online you okay. know, if you Google it. And uh, you know, obviously through me or, or through Fred, um, my email address is uh, Lewis, L-E-W-I-S dot Oyster Club. That's one word. It's the way it sounds. O-Y-S-T-E-R-C-L-U-B. And there's a story behind that. And it has to do with the history of the geosciences, right the original on. Oyster Club. Uh, but Lewis.OysterClub at gmail.com. Right on. So well, thank you for asking. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. What you were doing. That's, that's, it's yeah. awesome. It's admirable. We owe so much to them. So. Right on. Right on. I totally agree with that. So, well, so yeah, yeah uh, personally, yeah. that's what really dropped out for me. I think the geology, your curiosity and the questions and the conversations from this meeting of the minds was yeah. awesome. Yeah. And uh, I got from that. But Stan, anything drop out? What, what dropped out for you? Well, the same thing. Yeah. Opportunity to talk real geology again. Yeah. 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 Just answer yeah. questions directly. Yeah. And, and yeah. And science is about collaboration in such a huge way. Yeah. And that's a big issue these days because... Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of examples we've seen of where collaboration shut off and, yeah uh, but science is so so important and uh yeah it's not so enough of it these days so it's been a privilege to collaborate with you guys i'm right on and that's what dropped out you think from the show today well, we're just, just getting started yeah, yeah. We're just getting started collaborations yeah. what dropped out the most for for you today was well I mean, yeah it's something you know been aware of for a long he's time he's going to have a lot with, more questions for me over yeah, a margarita but, uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Atlas. Atlas is the Permian Basin's leading maintenance and repair service center. We provide full-service bumper-to-bumper maintenance, repair, and diagnostics for all makes and models of the most in-demand cars, trucks, and SUVs. We also provide the same full-service solutions to keep your fleet running and 100% DOT compliant. Our pump division also provides the industry with the shortest turnaround times, keeping your transfer and injection pumps in the field where they belong. Our technicians and staff are eager to work with you and are willing to do what you need when you need it. Parts, service, and a desire to exceed your expectations are what set us apart from the rest. Call Atlas today at 432-245-5858 or visit us at www atlas-ustx.com. This episode of PBE Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Geolog. Geolog offers cost-effective, lab-quality, quantitative, real-time formation evaluation and reservoir characterization solutions to improve well placement, production forecasting, and optimizing of completions. They even have a service that can monitor bitware while drilling. I've actually utilized their services while drilling wells in the Permian Basin, and we were highly impressed with the data acquisition process and the quality of the interpretations. These guys at Geolog are passionate about the data they collect each day at every well site. They've been doing it for 40 years. They are passionate about drill cuttings, passionate about mud gas data, passionate about what the data means and how the data can add value to an asset. They probably collect the most amount of drill cuttings and mud gas data globally each day of any privately owned surface mug logging company. Geolog always employ a consistent quantitative analytical methodology, whether on the well site or back at the lab. So data collected at one well can be compared in another well. 
We'll be doing a podcast with Dr. Guy Oliver, Geologs Director of Energy Transition and Data Science, who will be talking more about what Geolog does and diving more into the types of data they collect. Your your question is how how do they get here? Or yeah. Why am I here? Yeah. So so um, May is a river month for me, and um, I'm going to be spending the first half of uh, of May in the Grand Canyon. Right. And uh, and then the second half, I run two veteran, uh, disabled veteran trips uh, down the Colorado River through Cataract Canyon. Wow. So um, I got talking with Monty, Monty Swan, who uh, who we're working together with uh, uh, to lead a, a field trip uh, down uh, at Dawson outside of Canyon City, one of four that'll be uh, run in conjunction with the GSA annual meeting in October, this coming October. And um, I, uh, in the meantime, had learned that, uh, and, and been in connection with uh, with Stan, that he's right here. And so Stan extended an invitation and I considered the the, the possibility of trying to, to work it in at the yeah. front end of, uh, of this May trip. And, and I'm able to kill a, a number of birds with one stone, not right on. including seeing my aunt in Tucson after I, uh, Head out here as well okay. as a couple other colleagues. So, okay. um, and I've I've heard so much about uh, you guys and um, Stan's rock collection. And oh man, we've talked about. And, <laughs> just and, got uh, you one. There it is. And so it it seemed kind of like a no brainer. So it's wow. a, it's an honor and a privilege to, that you guys happen to be here, uh, and the timing worked out. Right on, Lou. Well, it's likewise for us. So, um, you know, it's. The, the geology is such a uh, a small group of of very unique individuals, people that are just kind of naturally, if you want to call it that, you know, uh, have an affinity the, to the natural world and natural history, and and solving the puzzles of geology, solving the puzzles of the universe. Right? I mean, the rocks really have their own language. That's one thing that I certainly learned with. Magmachem, you're you're reading this kind of story of this progression through time, and you're trying to deconvolve all that. You're trying to make sense of of all that. Listening to what the rocks have to say. Oh, isn't that great? Oh man, and it, what 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 is so pleasurable is doing it together with additional eyes, experienced eyes. You know, when I run these trips down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon, bringing on board people uh, and having the benefit of their perspectives, because invariably. You know, uh, any other person will have perspectives that you don't and see oh, things that sure. you haven't been able to see. And so it's, it's such a joy to, to do that. And, uh, any dignitaries coming on this latest trip? Well, this tri trip actually uh, coming up is with the USGS. And, it, and it's with their, <laughs> believe it or not, it's with their fisheries group. Nice. So oh, I'm yeah. going to be learning a, 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 a whole other aspect of the canyon. and. As in particular, how how you know the impact of the dam and and so forth on the the uh, the system downriver from the dam wow. and so forth. How so, the, how life is. Um, but I'll be doing some geology along the way as well. So right on. So let's rock it back. What you got a degree? You get you went to school. Have you always been attracted to rocks? And and do you have a geologist in the family that that inspired you to become <laughs> a geologist? Like how did that how did that all go? No, but I lived in a rural setting and uh, a lot of time spent. Uh, recreating outside you know, on on my own and, and with with my uh my brother and uh and friends but it was a very rural woodsy environment and so i had a rock collection so uh i wound up taking a, three years off after uh high school uh before i got into college and 
convinced that I'd be ready and know what I wanted to do and didn't. And it wasn't until my sophomore year that I, I wound up taking an intro to geology class and the ex uh, state geologist of New Jersey. Oh, cool. And I'm a Jersey boy. Uh, I can kind of pick up and on that. We need that. to talk about oysters a little bit since you're a Scot. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, we need to talk about and, Franklin, New Jersey, and, and, too. Yeah, yeah, Franklin as well. And uh, um, um, I. Um, um, what was I was I was I was well, just kind of I was talking about uh, walking through undergrad. Oh, um, I I my my sophomore year, uh, the the ex state geologist got up and showed slides of having been all over the world and mm. looking at rocks, and it was a no brainer. Mm. So, so I wound up uh, right getting into geology, and uh, I also um, switched it sophomore and, year. Uh, that's cool. So yeah, that's that's what got me into it. Right on. Did hey. you ever run into a, a geologist by the name of Volkert? Uh, no, He's, from Jersey. Yeah. Uh, what's the like last Mr. name? Was New what? Jersey geology, Bulkert. Yeah. No, I. You know, I. I have to admit that I. I frankly don't know a huge amount about the geology of New Jersey. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, you know, I mean, passive margin, and I can tell you some crazy stories about visiting the Miocene uh, Calvert Cliff uh, fossils and wow. and having some pretty crazy. Uh, party down there as, as, <laughs> as an undergraduate but yeah. uh, but um um who was who was he who who was this gentleman well he's a very famous new jersey geologist he's a uranium lead age dater among other things yeah but especially northern new jersey hmm. especially the metamorphic belt that franklin finds itself uh, okay in. okay and what's yeah. the significance of the metamorphic belt it has something to do with well, he's also a petrologist and he's he's done a lot of work on franklin which is a world famous zinc deposit. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Any gonite there? There is. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And it's one of these things that we have in Colorado. But they haven't figured that out yet. He, he's he's gone down the old rabbit hole of the thing being a metamorphosis of know. sulfide. But I so called him up one day. I sent him an email. And then I called him up and I said, Is it possible? that this thing could be related to these paraluminous sills that you have running right through the deposit and are in the immediate- At Franklin, you're talking about. At Franklin. No kidding. And he said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's uh, that's encouraging. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I've I've heard it said that uh, the second most abundant occurrence in the world of gonite- Is Franklin? No, but uh, behind uh, Broken Hill in Australia, right, that's, is uh, that's is Colorado. There are more gonite occurrences Frequency in Colorado wise, than, yes. than than anywhere else in the could, world. There could be, yeah. There's a lot of gonite up in that northern Colorado thing. So that's that's pretty interesting. And uh, um, for me, you know, we're we're running this. Um, we've got four uh, field trips that are being run uh, in the Colorado Front Range in conjunction with the the uh, uh, GSA uh, national meeting in Denver next October. And one of them is in the central front range uh, that I'm co-leading. Right, right, near Evergreen. And there are three occurrences, gonite occurrences there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Cresswell, the other is Hosa Lodge, and the other is what's called the FMD mine. And, uh, um, and conventional thought, I don't know, or conventional, or yeah, many people think it's a- VMSs. that they're Yeah, exactly. Huh. Volcanic massive sulfides no or way. metamorphose. No way. Metamorphose, some sort of metamorphose base metal. Wow. Are yeah. they all the same age? 
Well, they're Precambrian. Um, well, well, I mean, I guess that's that's controversial. I mean, I mean, mm -hmm. some people want to make it uh, um, more recent, even even tertiary in age. Uh, Whoa! Do, but, you um, read my take on that billions of years. Is that I think a lot of them cluster around 1.7 GA. Oh wow! And there's a whole belt of them that run from that's, Dawson all the way over to Gunnison and well, beyond. That's going to be fun to to talk more about that because I th I think there may very well be some some parallels there because these these gunite occurrences do lie on a, a stratigraphic but they also lie on a structural trend. Yeah, they're on a but, trend. But but you know, structure can, can exploit zone. stratigraphy. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um there's there's questions to be well, answered. Oh yeah, these gonite things are pretty pretty wild. Yeah, collect age dates on them. By the way, cool. there's gonite placer in the central Catalinas. What? You can go find this stuff in the placer. It's yeah. that it's sufficiently dense that uh, there are actual placers. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, and there's a zinc anomaly in that garnet slurin thing you saw out there outside, huh. which I think is probably a small amount of accessory gonite because there's no sulfide in it. Interesting. Interesting. And that's the fraction of the, where the hell that paraluminous granite complex was going. Explain what gonite is and what its significance, how it's deposited. What is gonite? It's a zinc manganese spinel. Whoa. And it can be formed in a number of ways, oh, I, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Spinel mm -hmm. is more of a texture thing. What's spinel? No, spinel is a mineral in the spinel group. Aluminum oxide, isn't it? Aluminum oxide. Yeah. yeah. So you got aluminum oxides, then you got zinc. zinc. And a little bit of manganese. And the manganese. With the zinc. Yeah. But it's mainly about zinc, aluminum oxide. And these things, why are these so important? Or why are you like honing in on these gonites? What's about, what's about gonite? Well, Stan can probably better answer this than I am, but um, it, traditionally uh, it's, it's been felt that these uh, might be uh, an indicator of you know some proximity to uh, metamorphosed base metal deposit. Mm. Um, you know that That's would have originally makes. contained a lot of zinc, a lot of sphalerite, and that mm -hmm. that has been metamorphosed to produce the. Uh, and somehow the, the sulfur gonite. magically got driven off from the so, sphalerite. So, so I'm sorry. Say that again. The the sulfur got driven off from the sphalerite. How's that? Leaving it as an, and replaced with aluminum, and I, I just don't buy it. Oh, that's the that's the current kind of consensus. That's how they have to solve that issue, that problem. Mm. How do they do that? How do they burn it up with metamorphism? Oh, burn it off literally at the upper amphibolite grade, because yeah. massive sulfide supposedly form it. High temperature. No, yeah, on the seafloor at relatively low temperature pressures. Although they come oh, these from are. A high, they're, they originally are hydrothermal. Yeah, but the problem is they're associated with seafloor volcanism, or that doesn't have a huge aluminum anomaly associated with it. So where do you get all that from? Well, there there are oh, some. Uh, help me out with this. Correct me if I'm wrong. There are some rock types. Some faces, if you will, that uh, are a bit more aluminous. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, like like Spry, doesn't he talk about these uh, nodular selenites, uh, mm. which yeah. he, he calls upon them as, I believe, as, as being indicative of perhaps uh, a metamorphosed uh, uh, alteration. Uh, yeah, uh, some kind of porphyroblastic thing. Yeah. 
yeah. from the vent? Well, yeah, I'd be tempted to interpret. I, I like to interpret my first guess, and I don't always go there, but it's my first guess out of the box, is a lot of these spherular things represent magmatic unmixings. Um, so they're primary. Yeah, they're Not primary. an alteration feature. No, they're yeah. primary. Exactly. You're dealing with something that's right up in the paraluminous yeah. granite making isograd metamorphically. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these rocks are right on the verge of paraluminous melting. Yeah. Wouldn't the uh, oceanic vent setting be obvious in outcrop or no? Well, if you really scramble it up with a high-grade mid-amphibolite grade metamorphism, you can presumably hide them. But yeah, that's an issue. Well, the vent, you know, the vent itself, but you know, it's venting. Well, um, interpreting and, and the mineralogy. big area. And so, yeah, but, but, but trying to say that that's all related to some kind of zone, it's hard to interpret what they have at Dawson and other places is related to some central vent complex. It just doesn't work for me primary textures or yeah as a but as a primary fraction of some kind of paraluminous magma thing i have no problem with that at all and i have no problem with that for broken hill so you're and that's taking, actually been tried at broken hill paraluminous magma thing is you're taking some kind of subducted low angle tectonic setting yeah and these things are fractioning out of that setting, like they're a partial. Pegmatite? The paraluminous granites are, and then they fractionate. So you're melting that uh, flat subducted plate. Uh, the upper plate above it. The up above. So it. that dehydrates because it, it dehydrates, supplies the, the water, hydrously melt, acts as a catalyst to exactly. melt. Yes. Gotcha. He's gotcha. got it. Gotcha. <laughs> well, water, cool. you know, I, I, water I, is a highly underestimated substance. It's the key to all this, isn't it? I mean, it's mm -hmm. the key to just about everything, as, as we're finding out in petroleum. Well, we something, are just something to do with hydrogen bonds and stuff like that. Or boy, yeah, right. Monty's really been polluting you, <laughs> man. Okay, so I like where it's going, but let's let's bring it back with the time we have to your. Uh, your development and your career into being so tied in with dregs and GSA and kind of the event coming up, your vision of the event. What are we What are we doing this fall? And by oh by the event, you mean the um, okay. So so my career. So I I graduated undergrad with a independent study under my belt of the Western Overthrust Belt, and I did that so I knew whose doors to knock on uh, when I got out. Uh, to Denver because I knew nice. I was coming back to Denver and uh, um, you know if you're as a Jersey boy the East Coast the rocks are all covered by you know vegetation and so I did my field field camp out in uh, out, of, out of Red Lodge at a at a camp a field camp called YBRA Yellowstone Bighorn Research Association oh, cool. and, um, and I had to it. bust my tail to get into that but I had uh, I, I was fortunate enough to know that if I did really well I, I could get a internship with the GS with the USGS and I busted my tail and I and I got that and so before leaving field camp I went down to Denver and I went into the survey and and, and introduced myself and tried to learn about as many people who were doing whatever they were doing mm -hmm. involved with that program in case there was a good fit and uh, 
So I came back out to Denver after I graduated. And, uh, uh, but as a result of that independent study, I got a job with the, the, the first guy that was on the, uh, the top of my list uh, uh, nice. for independent oil uh, uh, guys. And it was a guy by the name of Jerry Laux. And he, he discovered the, the Western Overthrust Belt. Whoa, you worked But instead for of guy. sending me into the Overthrust Belt, he sent me up to, to uh, Oregon and Washington. Some more, uh, and that, the reason new. for it is because uh, Shell and Arco were leasing these huge tracts of land on top of the Columbia Plateau. And uh, that's this vast uh, 78,000 square mile Holy blanket smokes. of flood basalts, up to 5,000 feet of uh, flood basalts. And, you know, a nightmare for anybody looking for oil and gas. But <laughs> Shell and Arco were leasing up these they huge tracts of land. There's some huge anaclinal structures on okay. it, actually. There you go. And, uh, and so he sent me up there to look for whatever source and reservoir there might be. And so I, I, I pulled out every mapping project around the, the, uh, the, the, the flood basalt blanket and, and, and looked at them and, and focused in on what seemed to be the, the hottest thing. And that was down in central Oregon, where uh, what had previously been interpreted as a fluvial, deltaic, shallow uh, marine uh, system was actually oh, part was of what- Was that Kalarno? Huh? Was that the Kalarno? It's, it's what underlies the Kalarno. It's okay. the Cretaceous rocks underneath the, mm. the Eocene Kalarno. It was interpreted and written up in the APG as fluvial deltaic interfingering with shallow marine. It was a submarine turbidite system. Mm. And I recognized that coming down first time it came in there. You see the, see the turbidites. Nights hanging out. Isn't that John Day country? It's, yeah, it's, it, uh, Mitchell is uh, mm. just to the west of John Day. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Okay. And so I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you and I are. wrote up a proposal and sent it out. I knew who all the leaseholders were, sent it out to them, and they all sent me money. Is and that so that, right? that paid for. Uh, for grad school, but it, you know the focus was sedimentology, stratigraphy, sure. tectonics. Sure. Uh, it also involved source rock because I, I did I analyze the uh, the mudstones for their sure. source rock potential. A lot of TOC. I, I know that's a a, a topic oh, of, yeah. of, well, that's okay. of, uh, no. of interest. We don't have to get into that, but um, that uh, that's that was you know my, that's my graduate work. And, right on. And and the takeaway from that was that I I grew to appreciate the importance of. Uh, Porosity, permeability, fluid flow, sure. because they're the critical engine. in oil and gas. They're critical right. in most, in many, many, most mineral deposits, yeah. and, and and so that led me into exploration for for all of those things. See all that the time, so. sort of fake alligator over there on the table. Yeah, there's a rock right next to it. It's a serpentinite, and it's right from John Day in the Oh yeah, that's a serpentinite. Was, that's exactly where I saw my first serpentinites. Was that right. exact country? Oh. You're talking about the very first serpentinites I ever saw were right yeah. there. You hit it right on the head. Now, did that's, you that's happen right. to think that they had anything to do with the petroleum system? <laughs> nope, <time>. absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Well, you didn't have a clue. Uh, right on. Clue. Right on. Well, that's cool. So yeah. that's obviously a really successful story. First of all, you could have right. gone up there and just kind of fall on your face, but it sounds like the research uh, you did, the work you did, you really added some value over there. Well, yeah, but I'll be the first to admit that, you know, it was it was fraught with a lot of self doubts, and we all have, you know. It's oh, like, yeah. oh my God, what am I doing, you know? Oh yeah. And uh, but well, not but it, a lot of oil came out of it. But it turned out no, a lot, not a lot of oil. You know, that's an interesting story though as well, because there's actually there's actually a gas field that uh, was produced between several of the uh, uh, basalt flows there, and mm. that's that's independent. Well, I mean, it's just an interesting fact that there was production. It was called the rattlesnake uh, mm. field. Um, mm. 
But Shell and Arco did drill there and they did, did uh, find significant uh, gas. That was back in around 80, 83 or so, something like that. And, uh, but it wasn't enough to warrant, uh, because the industry crashed then, right? Wow. 86 was the, wow. where it I bottomed that out. And, and, and that was, time. that was, you know, the goat patch to begin with. And then when the industry it just, yeah. they couldn't support it. But later on, you know, uh, um, who was it? Um, 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 I want to say, uh, begins with me. I can't remember the name of the company. Got back up in there and drilled together with Shell. Went Shell went back in uh, in in uh, in 2000. Uh, mm. uh, and so they they took another stab out of it. And, and I don't know enough about it, but but there's still some you know belief that there's some some potential under oh, there. I bet. And, uh, I bet. Was you it got... Anadarko? Huh? Oh, Anadarko well, went in there. It, it, I, you know, Anadarko may have been part of the early push in there but like uh, it wasn't them that went in um just uh, the after uh geology of that you're subducting um, you know ocean floor and and then you got serpentinite sitting right there you got world-class reservoirs to the south of you in california you know, yeah well that was that was the whole idea field. you know you've got the great uh, great right. basin that goes <laughs> north right. it must then be you got, which you know cretaceous and then you got cretaceous <laughs> in southwestern uh, oregon and then bam, you got this yeah, cretaceous uh, in central basin. oregon kind of an important note though you got to cross a freaking slab tear to get get over to oregon well, from the great basin on the way <laughs> might have something to say well I'll, i look forward to 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 talking about your ideas about that part of the world and uh wow. about because uh, there's a big embayment and uh i think it'd be interesting to explore. well yeah that's the so-called blue range or blue what's it? Blue, 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 the blue the blue the blue the blue mountains yeah blue mountain yeah. yeah wow yeah. um Gosh, that's cool. We could uh, we could definitely do a multi-hour podcast. So you asked about um, you know this what's coming up. Yeah, uh, now you're so. teed up into you know these societies are filled with people that really are the root of progression for the technical people on the planet. I mean, the people that work for the societies that volunteer and put the time in to create interesting things and to find interesting geologic anomalies and come together and bring people together. That's what's progressing us through all the mess and all the chaos of business and everything else. It's the technical people that get together because of the events that you're putting, you know, you're a prime example, I think, of why the societies are so important, why they'll always be here. You you get a you get a real kick out of what you're doing. So yeah. you know what drove that? What why why are you so big on the societies? Well, you're alluding to you know Dregs, the Denver Regional Exploration Geologic Society, and 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 CSS, the Colorado Scientific Society, and and these two organizations are and I've been doing a lot of things for a long time, but uh, as it relates to what we're talking about here, they're co-sponsors of of something called uh, PC two equals Precambrian Colorado. Right. And, and and this is an initiative to basically focus uh, on the Precambrian of, of Colorado. Uh, these are the oldest rocks in the state, and uh, they host a lot of uh, mineralization uh, mm. areas around Central City, Blackhawk, what's called the, the, the Colorado Mineral Belt. But that's all younger uh, mineralization, by and large. That's all tertiary age mineralization, although it's hosted in the Precambrian rocks. Right. What PC2 equals Precambrian Colorado uh, is focused on from an economic geology standpoint is trying to focus on Precambrian age mineralization. 
And, and there's not a lot of it. There's a subordinate amount of that compared to the younger tertiary stuff. But, but it's there. Mm -hmm. it, it, it exists. And the Precambrian rocks have been important from an economic geology standpoint. Since the pre Well, hell, <laughs> pretty much so. I mean, starting with, uh, with um, uh, you know, prehistory and, and, oh, yeah. and the use of uh, some of the quartzites for, for basic tool making. Right I on. Mean, I mean, right on. you know, all the way up to the, to the recent where it's just being mined for trap rock and, and used for industrial. But, but there is some uh, base metal and, and subordinate precious metal uh, mineralization. Oh, God, I think. Mm -hmm. huh? And Good so uh, that's, that's what the... The economic geology thrust of, of, uh, of this initiative is and why, for example, DREGS, uh, the Denver Regional Exploration Geologic Society, is sponsoring it. And uh, um, yeah, these, these are, are, are great, uh, great groups um, uh, that, that are evolving uh, uh, with changing times. I mean, we're right now we're going through, a, uh, DREGS is going through a, a, an old guard to a new, new guard transition. And it's... Um, it's it can be challenging at yeah. times, and that's okay. It's healthy. It's healthy. It's healthy. Uh, challenging uh, times are healthy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, change is healthy, right? Uh, yeah, so. AGS has the same issue. Well, yeah, yeah. So. and then just you know, progressing through life, right? You yeah. have challenges. You have uh, you have change. Yeah, and you got to call yeah. audibles, yeah. and and you got to be you know live with those things. And right. you're saying at the end of the day, challenge yeah. and change is is healthy. Yeah. yeah. So we've got four field trips. Lined okay. up uh, in the front range of Colorado for October. Meaning one, the one east side the, of the Rockies, front range, east front, side of the Rockies. Yeah, just right. just well, just west of. Right when uh, they break out of the Great Plains. Gosh, yeah. isn't that a crazy? And, like, from and, the globe, you're just going, "What is that?" You yeah. know, these Rockies, and then just this plains of nothing, yeah. almost. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's what's this, this little segue there is what's amazing is that the current front range occupies pretty much the same location as the ancestral front range. Mm. You know, 300 million year old front range, Rocky Mountains existed here that long ago, eroded down, and now we've got the new Rocky Whoa. Mountains that's come up, and it's come up pretty much in the same place, at least in the, in the front range. Just a little more west maybe huh? or something? Where well, it's, it's more there? complicated, but in the front <laughs> range, it's, it, it's, it's, it's uh, exploiting probably, you know, deep-seated yeah, basement structures, system, yeah. reactivation of, uh, of structures, which, which is really, really pretty cool. So. so we've got these four field trips that are focused on the Precambrian and the front range. And part of the strategy of this idea is to is to uh, is to whet the appetite for some more detailed uh, uh, trips and, and analyses that will be presented the subsequent spring of 23 at the Rocky Mountain section uh, meeting. And so, so Stan is involved with one of the field trips in the South Central uh, um, uh, Front Range with, with Monty and, and myself. We've got two in the Central Front Range and there's one up in... Uh, in Big Thompson Canyon as well, and then we have a, a, a topic session uh, that we're sponsoring as well. And uh, so, in the in the field trips, you can obviously conquer everything you want to, but gonite is obviously the the uh, the commodity that seems to be kind of bringing everyone in. No, oh, okay. for one field trip, it's probably well. For two field trips, it's it's particularly important. Okay. Or, or it has has pertinence. It's uh it's pertinent to the one that that uh, Stan and Monty or and myself are leading down here in the central in the central front range. Uh, not here, but uh, I'm sorry, in in the in south central front range outside of uh, Canyon City, and there is also are also gunite occurrences uh, 
uh, in the Central Front Range. Actually, there's even some, didn't you say that there's some agonite occurrence up to the north as well uh, in Colorado? Isn't there agonite one yeah, a little bit a, further to the north? I forget what yeah, it's called. Yeah, uh, it's a big one. Oh, what the hell is it? And uh, so I um, need to... BHP chased it. We'll be in Colorado? Yeah. yeah. It's in the Pearl District. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Besides the gun, I use gold. Basement. Well, there's there's Press subordinate metal. gold. The base metals seem to be the more more important, but there's some subordinate uh, precious metal, uh, gold and silver uh, associated. Well, I mean, there's, you know, at, at Dawson, I mean, it's a significant uh, gold resource there. Yeah. Where, where else? Uh, is there uh, well Gunnison's Gunnison. um I'm not sure if there's gunite at gold brick or not, but it's a paraluminous gold system. Gotcha. So the idea um, of, of getting these field trips. Green up, Mountain, there's gunite. And at Sedalia, there's gunite. What about gold? Uh no, well they're either Dawson is sort of unusual, but Green Mountain, those are the gold end members, and then the base metal silver end members are things like Sedalia, Gunnison. Well, where you're going with the field trip, you're kind of generally getting some interest over here. And then, and the idea is that maybe these, you know, sponsors, these people that are in support of the societies to go and do a spring field trip, you're going to discover something along these four field trips to say, Hey, we really need to go and research more on this or that. And then the societies get the funding to do the research, right? That's what the nonprofits really exist is to is to keep progressing the research and write more papers and to do more field trips. Well, yeah, I mean, Dregs, for example, is uh, um, in a position financially to support some some research. Um, um, by and large, Dregs, for as a case in point, has been an organization that. Uh, um, sponsors um, presentations on a monthly basis and uh, yeah. for, for anybody involved in the exploration for mineral uh, deposits. Uh, um, we sponsor student-related things. Not so much um, um, and academic endeavors, uh, 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 but, but they're starting to get into a little bit more of that. I mean, a case in point would be these trips that we're doing. If we want to run some analyses, you know, we can probably get some funding to do that. Okay. But, um, yeah, age um, dates or chemistry um, or something. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, cool. So. That's what I'd really like to see at Dawson is some age dates. Some age dates. Right yeah. on. So on this field Big trip, time. we would go so, out, systematically collect rocks that could provide some more intel on if you well, age Well, the field trip's more right. show and tell. Yeah. But, you know, you may already have collected samples that you have. and uh, Well, we do, and there might be some stuff in the core shack. Right. Right so, on. So we ought to, you know... You know, the Dawson, kind of make a priority list of, of, you know, a wish list, so to speak. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, make right up a little bit of proposal. Yeah. There's a few outcrops on the way up the hill. Of that. So the, uh, the core shack, you know, you're, so the field trip is going to be outcrop and you're going to look at, at core. Well, it's, it's, it's uncertain at this point. Okay. And you're talking in particular about the trip to, to South Central, uh, right. to the Dawson area. Right. And it's, uh. Uh, that's yet as yet to be determined. Uh, it's, okay. that's, we're hope, hoping for that. Now, Stan, claim, Stan claims that Monty named his son Dawson after... He did. It was after I this didn't know prospect. I didn't know that. This project. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So this goes deeply into the Magma Kim Monty. <laughs> you know a lot about Dawson. Monty does. Nice. Monty worked it before I really got involved. And right. he went right down the right. massive sulfide pipe. 
and and now early it's, on yeah early on yeah, yeah. right and then um, i pulled him out of that rabbit hole and we went down the paraluminous rabbit hole right bigger system a bigger yeah. kind of well yeah i realized that the rocks that were hanging around i have a lot of unpublished petrochemistry on that stuff Hmm. So I never really got a chance to work up because the project kind of went off the so rails. So would it be okay to, to ask you some, permit me, some very fundamental questions as it relates to sure. uh, magma chem and... and um, I would love that. Um, and, and, and I'd appreciate, you know, you're, you're enlightening me a little bit further about, you know, the the evolution of thought that contributed to the understanding of, of the importance of paraluminous and for example it's rolled down at Dawson or hypothetically anyway and uh, but magma chem the name is magma chem so presumably magma chemistry um, that was the initial elaborate on that I mean why, why magma chem why that name okay so that goes back to my first paper that I ever really wrote it was peer-reviewed well, there was the first one that I did on the 79 line. That was peer-reviewed. But my first geotectonic peer-reviewed thing was this paleosubduction geometry thing that appeared in geology. 1978. Right here. Yeah. Do you ha do you have that paper? Uh, we do, but not. it's just the timeline. You, can't, you can't get to it real quick, can you? Ah, not real quick, Stan, but go ahead. Paleosubduction geology. Yep. You did a paper published in geology on paleosubduction right ancient subduction yeah well it wasn't it was a subduction system in southwestern north america is this is this your masters yeah. yes cretaceous to um all of what six pages i heard <laughs> yeah that's right yeah but the appendix was 30. <laughs> right you know, that's, the, the, that's still amazing i mean that just blows uh, me away you know i mean what does that say about six pages that six pages has to be packed <laughs> Well, it just has to be impactful. It is. You know? It is. Well, I've <laughs> got to work at it. George sure. the George Davis, I actually, when I say, Stan Keith, you know, what's your, and he goes, yeah, I wrote this paper. And I go, let me send it to me. I go, this got to be the shortest thesis that's ever been written. And George Davis is his advisor. So I go and, and unbeknownst to Stan, I go, hey, George, I email him out of nowhere. I go, I'm working uh, with Stan Keith. What's, what was his thesis like? What was it like? You know, what, what, what do you know about Stan oh, Keith? Oh, my and, God. George just talks about, you know, how, you know, he's, he's worked with amazing people in his past, you know, and sure. Stan was one of those guys that came through. But that thesis on built on the back of Dickinson and Hatherton, I mean, just incredible. And I mean, it was published in geology. Yeah. Yeah. Barely. Barely. The story behind that is incredible. Yeah. He has a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Yeah, over another beer sometime. <laughs> yeah. I have a letter from Dickinson in the main office. You know, Bill Dickinson bails my ass out. His thesis area was was right behind mine in Whoa. Central Oregon. Really? And I, oh, that's right. But he did his PhD at Table Mountain, Supliizi area. But where where did he do his PhD? Table Mountain down near uh, in Central California. Oh, okay, there. gotcha, gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Dickinson. Yeah, that, that and one that was on a serpentinite protrusive that actually erupted into <sighs> serpentinite. Floors. I want to go see these uh, serpentinite, these uh, sums, these uh, serpentinite ultramafic uh, mega breaches, diatremes, serpentinite diatremes. I, I'm looking okay, forward well, you, to seeing you them. You need 
you might be able to go see one up. It's up on the Indian reservations, right in the Four Corners area. Right. I remember seeing that. Just, just. I remember seeing that on the map. Yeah, I was wondering Ridge, about that. Well, wouldn't some of the stuff on like Moses beaches of Rock? Of, there, there's several of them. The beaches of California qualify for some of this. Mule no. Park. Uh yeah. In terms of the diapir component, these yeah. things are big pipes that have come way up from the deep. So yeah. this gets into the whole realm of injectites. Well, um, yeah. And where did you hear that bad word? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, you know, Tava sandstone. You know? Did did Monty ever take you out to show you these injectite dikes in the Colorado Front Range? Oh, about 20, 30 minutes from his house. I mean, uh, between Evergreen and Tava. No, I've, I've seen them before. That's oh, the that's man. what's called the Tava. Yeah, know, it's a Tava. Yeah, the Tava sandstone. And, oh, that's uh, what you just mentioned. Okay. I um, you know, I, right. I wanna I wanna know more about them. Oh and, man. Uh, yeah, they're that's that's something Somebody else. Somebody should. Well, they have done zircon work. Sitaway's done a lot of work on it. Right, Christina Sitaway. I ah. was just down uh, visiting the White Cloud Pegmatite, which yeah, that's is uh, in that area. along very close to the to segment two of the uh, Appalachian Trail. And um, a colleague and friend by the name of Marcus Rashke uh, had a, a map that was done by some master student of, of the area just off to the west of the White Cloud Pegmatite. And I was looking at that map and on the legend, there were two intriguing things. One was sandstone dyke. So nice. he he had identified several of you know, Tava the, the Tava dykes. sandstone dikes in that area. And um Sidaway is uh, trying to remobilize that from one of the Permian units. I don't think like so. it's fallen into well, cracks. Well, you know, you would think that it fell into a crack. Right. You would think that texturally, you know, you, no you ought to be able to tell that. I mean you know, well, there's flow banding in it. These things are angular. Are they angular sands or or pretty some weird? of the sand class are? Yeah, the yeah, they're not rounded. Yeah, I'd like to look at this whole spectrum of them from different places. A lot of it's all, uh, off to the east of or off to the west, Colorado Springs along the Ute Fault. That's there. right, exactly. That's the yeah. main conduit. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to like to see that. But the other thing he was on that map, and I could never. It was in the legend. And I could never find it on the map because of I just could never find it. It was it was labeled CD for carbonatite dike. And I'm like, what? Mm. I haven't heard of any carbonatite dikes reported in in you know out in Gunnison. They've got some carbonatites, but well, there's the but not not Powderhorn thing. That's and a pow yeah, big Powderhorn right. Carbonatite, but in right. the wet mountains, just south of yeah, Green lots Mountain, lots of them there. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of yeah, them. Right. Yeah. We had them up at Rattlesnake in uh, in central or central. Uh, uh, um, Wyoming, Wyoming yeah. as well. In the granites? It was in the Precambrian. Yeah. Hosted in the Precambrian. The and that was, a, that was a real lesson to me because uh, he encountered these things in the uh, in the core. And they look like a vein, a carbonate vein. And, right. And I'm like looking at this thing and saying, what? Why couldn't this be magmatic? You know, you know, in a vein, you expect probably to, is. You expect to see some some uh, some symmetry. You know, you've got an open space. You start to crystallize along the margins. Yeah, you're going to get. And some. you fill it in. You get some symmetry. But then I start thinking, well, heck, if it's a if it's a, a carbonate in, intrusive, you're going to see symmetry too. It's going to have a chill yeah, margin. Absolutely, you is. know, and it's going to you know Chemical it's going to have zone. some symmetry as, as well. Yeah. Did the isotopes on it and. It, 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 
way too high temperature for uh for, for a vein for, for a vein uh, yeah so it was a, it was a carbonatite anyway yeah could be cool stuff wow yeah the ones in the wets are cambrian right 520 right. or so right yeah, the um, Colorado State Survey has been doing a lot of mapping down there recently. Really? Uh, with that in mind, with the rare earth potential in mind. And, yeah, uh, that, there's been people make passes at that. The USGS came through that with a whole bunch of quadrangle mapping, trying yeah. to figure out the rare earth story there. Right. Yeah. So, man, I was, I'm sorry, I'm not uh, completely ready for this conversation. I have a great. Ah, a couple of slides that go through kind of what was so amazing, really, and 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 very progressive about Stan's thesis and why Dickinson, you know, completely really went out of his way to defend that and send Stan into his career. Oh, back. is that right? Oh, is that right? So this was yeah. the Dickinson of, you know, sedimentation and tectonics. Yeah. Uh, when um, he was at Stanford. Just yeah. before he came to the university, yeah. Arizona, he read he read Stan's thesis and said, "Hold up, why is this being rejected? This is ridiculous." And he's got a whole letter. I mean, oh inc yeah, I know uh, that's that's uh, that's uh, tweaking his memory. I remember hearing about that probably from Monty. Yeah. So the the guys and correct me if I'm wrong, Stan. They, Hatherton was the geophysicist and Dickinson doing the geochemistry. They're going around the circuit Pacific, looking at subduction zones. Subduction zones they can see Known in seismic. Off zones of the time. Benioff zone, so where it's cracking, where right where these earthquakes are happening, and when the earthquakes are, yeah, right, and and that's the idea the inclined that inclined seismic zones, if you want to be technically correct, which is is a depiction of the plate subducting, right, and and then they have these rocks at the surface, and they're saying, okay, these rocks melted from this depth, and mm -hmm. the seismic is 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 adding up. Mm -hmm. And then they, they looked at all this chemistry and they came up with the K57.5 kind of ratio. Well, that's what Dickinson did. Yeah. And that was the best one that could predict at what depth did the melt come from that made the deposit they're standing on. And Stan then took that into a whole new dimension. He took it into the fourth dimension using time. He used time and the fact that the plate is not Fixed. It's not just coming in, cruising along through geologic time, all doing the same so thing. Get to your original question. Yeah, it's variable right. dip yeah. through time, right? And the arc is rotating through time, right? So you have arc movement and dip variable. And Stan went and all Western United States in his thesis as much as he could find where age and rock chemistry was matching. Okay. And then all of a sudden so, he goes, okay, at, at 80 million years, if I got a deposit here that chemically is is saying this, looks and, like this, yeah, and I got a deposit over here that's chemically putting this out, they're coming from two different sources. We can map the depth. So that means the inclined zone must have been this at that time. So and, you're, and, you're, 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 you're matching chemistry, magma chemistry with, you got it, with, with metals, with the, whatever the plate configuration was right so and, and, and it's I empirical you totally so you've empirical. done done how many for example you must have and how many huh <laughs> oh shit. what's this? it's a huge data set yeah, correct yeah, me if yeah, i'm I've wrong right file cabinets of shit it's over six thousand so separate it, that data set sort of 
spoke for itself. It, I mean, you you saw some at the time. Yeah. You you could Stan you didn't could... Stan didn't say anything. The rocks were saying all this. <laughs> the rocks. Well, were saying I had all this. a lot of chemical analyses behind a lot of the the initial chemical observ observations, and then so that I was doing that at the time, um, and then. From that, I continued to pile up more data, and I went all the way up into uh, Canada and down into Mexico a bit. So this is a time slice of all the data at 89 to 72. And based on all the data they compiled at 89 to 72, the ages, just simply get an age on your rock deposit. And you now are inferring what the plate tectonic setting was of the whole West United States and how, how incredibly powerful that is for an exploration standpoint. Hmm. Well, it's big picture stuff, but the, the point is that I started to notice that certain ranges of potassium content as expressed by K57.5, which is 57.5% silica and K2O at that range. So you have your differentiation path and then you zip up. K57.5. Uh, yeah up to, to uh, at 57.5% silica, and then you read horizontally over to the K2O vertical axis, and bingo, that's your K57.5. Gotcha. So I literally have probably a thousand of those K57.5s piled up over the whole. I would figure it would have been Western more. U.S. Maybe a thousand or thousands? Maybe more, I don't know. I, <laughs> enough to have a confident western united states map that shows this and and you were saying about the uh or you mentioned how the geology seems to change or you know something's going on you have this great basin great uh, world-class reservoir oil and gas and then an organ you know is it there why wouldn't it be there well this is what's called a slab tear and see how it's offsetting the mm -hmm. chemistry mm -hmm. these things are deep features you see it with grab do you see it in grab mag or you just see it in chemistry? No, you can see it in the grab mag. See it in grab mag. These are old oceanic slab tears that are breaking apart. They're like scissor faulting their way in as it's subducting. And it's totally changing your 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 whole like the whole concept of geologic provinces needs to be kind of reinterpreted or like rethought using this method. Because when you cross a slab tear, you can be on a line and it's you're in a totally different geologic deal. Those provinces don't they don't do well across these lines mm. and and it brings a lot of complexity. If you oversimplify and say this is a geologic province here, there's there's more to that story. The chemistry just comes right through that stuff. So there's that Colombian bayment up there. Correct. Right. To be, because yeah. it doesn't show up until yeah. after this time slice. Starting to tee up. So if you went younger in the in the plates as you know, in your tectonic model, you would start seeing that come in. Oh yeah, I gotcha. But the, well, I have that embayment in there in the in the Cretaceous as well. Yeah. Well, this is yeah, this is this is Cretaceous. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, then, what happened was I started to correlate the metal contents of the because I had this huge database and a lot of this came from USGS stuff and various other things where people were looking at mineral deposits. And then it became obvious that like in the AC group line that that was featuring lead, zinc, silver with minor copper and gold. Whereas in the CA group, yeah, so that's what, uh, 
That's the alkali calcic on a K, K2L silica diagram. Now, what's interesting about this one is that the lines on this diagram are drawn by what the uh, metal deposits have to say. So I didn't go around surveying some other petrologist like Jim Gill and say, oh, what's, um, what do you think a high potassium quartz manzanite looks like? And he would give me a chemical def definition. I asked the lead zinc silver deposits and I noticed that they were changing into calcophallic porphyry mm -hmm. copper deposit associations at about where that line is. And, and if you calculate the K57.5 value of that line, it turns out it's at about 255 kilometers. That's based on the potassium depth data, and it's purely empirical. And then later, much later, he, he sees that the seismic tomography is changing at the same depths that he did all this chemistry work 20 years before. Yeah, that was another interesting validation of the whole thing and isotopes does it uh, there's there's a lot of data sets that start pulling out these layers of the earth and that's the magma metal hmm. dynamic layered earth model that's gotcha. the mega chart that's the origin of those right so those then that became rather than just magma series it became magma metal series that's where that comes from so when you're you're standing on a deposit and you're you're at that mac and you've identified that you're at a metaluminous alkali calcic deposit, you are you instantly know your bulk composition of the of the type of metals you'll find commercially. You potent you statistically have a chance to find these metals mm. at a commercial uh, level, right off the bat. You know the age, lock that in. Yeah, that's you do the your general grab bag for that. For example, with all those metals, but then you can filter it one more level by looking at oxidation state. Once you get into that association of metals, you find that tin likes the low oxidation state guys with ferric-ferrous ratios below 0 0.6. So I worked all of that out, ran that through the whole thing, and that became the oxidation state story. And this is the seven layers of logic that uh, Stan infamously, you know, worked out. Yeah, people Mountie still haven't else. gotten used to this. They, they, well, they, they hear that and they're like, "Ooh, the seven layers of logic." You know, they, they kind of scoff at at the whole idea of it. Well, but... this has a lot more to it than the typical AFM di diagram or you know your typical stuff that you hand out in your uh, rock petrological lab. So, first two primary Strike steps: diagram, that kind of stuff. aluminum content. Then your alkalinity and bang, you instantly know if you're in a paraluminous or metaluminous, which means you're either in flat subduction or steep subduction setting. Now you start breaking in your water content, halogen, oxidation state, and then you finally get to actually doing the geology, in my opinion. It's it's at the end, after you hear what the rocks have to say with their chemical makeup, their elemental makeup. You start saying, okay, what's going on in the geology? Where is it breaking? How is it mineralizing down these breaks? What's the timing of that? You know, those are the last steps. Typically are, you know, you'd say that's the first step, but uh, the, yeah, the layered logic. Yeah, so you have that bulk magma and then you run the uh, sort of a Bowen's reaction series after you al already have the serial level defined. And then you got to do the rock system stuff, and that's just classic Bowen reaction stuff. But you have the data set 
for in this case the Warren District, which is the Quartz Valspar Porphyry and the Sacramento Intrusive Stock, and I finally got some half-ass petrochemical data for that. That was one of the things that I was having a hard time what, getting the uh, data. For. Bowen's uh, stuff all based on anhydrous. Uh, uh, well, that's the yeah, well, you remember your <laughs> trying. You I I know I still need to read that damn book you gave me, <laughs> but I'm following. What's he saying? Anhydrous mineralization. Well, what happens is is that you're alluding to the the normative mineral calculations, and they have one fatal flaw: is that they take out the water. So they calculate all of their analysis, they're recalculated water-free on an anhydrous basis. And then, yeah, then they figure out their rock systems, et cetera. That's okay as long as you're just trying to get the general rock system right. But I've already done the water content and that's extremely important because if I have hornblende in my metaluminous magma type, then I have the possibility without even seeing it because I have all this other analog data laying around that there could be a serious metal occurrence associated with it. You have enough water to really create Yeah, to a... pull the hmm. residual uh, metals because they're typically acting incompatibly under certain magma metal series hmm. conditions. Hmm. So, for example, gold likes low oxidation state stuff. Tin likes low oxidation state stuff. But silver likes more stuff across the board, but uh, typically it gets more silvery as you get more oxidized. And uh, you just go um, all the way up and down the line with that. So, But once you have that filter, you've got to run it through the whole data set. And, and these are the, the main distinctions that come out of that from a chemical point of view. So that's what, to figure out what the chemistry of the Sacramento stock is at Warren, you run it through this, run, drop your marble down in there and that's where how it drops. And there's the Western United States data points there. So just over 6,000. So if I may, as it relates to um, the Dawson property, what were the features that you observed there that really screamed at you? You know, in the field that, that screamed at you that, wait a minute, no, there's something else going on here. There's, mm. um, I mean, I and, and part of the reason for asking that question, it would be, we're bringing a bunch of people up there. Part of it hopefully is hopefully that we're going to. It's interesting about things. that is yeah. some of this stuff is new stuff that I figured out on the way to that while I was doing the project. But. There are things like the pink paraluminous granite. I got the chemistry back, which I'm you haven't seen. I have a okay. data set on that, and it was plotting paraluminous, and it, it you know it did typical magma metal series call. The one twist there though was it, um, well it was paraluminous halfway between calcic and calcocalic. It was kind of a hybrid thing, but it had more gold in it. And it was low oxidation state. And I, the textures of that stuff did not look like they were metam They looked like they were magmatic fractionates. And that's what Franklin is. It's a willemite-rich, uh, Franklinite-rich apple hmm. texturally. Hmm. 
And that's what a lot of these things were. Hmm. So you started seeing texture in the rocks. Yeah. So we had this biotite thing that everybody was saying, oh, that's just some reshuffled. That, that biotite rich rock? Yeah. You ever heard of the term glimmerite? Yeah. And, and the problem with that is that's a lamprefer term. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh. But it's a biotite rich. Well, I'm yeah, but maybe if you look at a pipe, thin section of it that, you know, you're kind of getting fooled by the oh, the glimmer of the So biotites. wouldn't pe some people say that that was? There was some kind of quartzofelspathic rock that had been metamorphosed. Oh. But so I looked... Almost all biotite. <laughs> yeah. Well, not all biotite. Not no, all no, biotite. there's another one that's almost all biotite. Oh that's over on some of the points there where, you, where the road makes a sharp bend. But no, I'm talking about something that's down in the main road cuts. Okay. That was called banded nice by a lot of people. But I know what you're talking about. There's this real biotite rich hydrothermalite. Right. right. Hydrothermalite. That's what I'm thinking it was. Gotcha. Had a little bit of garnet in it, had it from some other things. That's an interesting term in and of itself, hydrothermalite. Hmm. Yeah, well, we struggled. That's a, that's a term that actually was originated during this project. <laughs> was a magmato, a rock that's on the magmato hydrothermal transition. The fourth rock It's got to be there, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that transition has to be there, you know. I mean, yeah. And it's particularly common in the paraluminous, and it's an immiscible uh, melt product that's a, that's a density-driven fractionation. So these things are coming in to a structural system, and the depressurization forces the paraluminous melt to unmix. So that and it's that, an unmixing. That sounds like it has things in common to your garnet Schlaren. You got it. Uh, those layers representing... And that's flow differentiation, too. Flow differentiation and the kinetics of that does a great job at sorting out the different densities. And then you also create a depressurization effect where these things are looking for low-pressure nodes that they can... Once you hit a quick depressurization, it will just flash freeze. And that produces aplytic texture. If it's crystallizing under a more hydrous condition, then you get a slower crystallization, and that's your pegmatites. Hmm. Gotcha. And you got in the same rock, you can have both. And so basically, in the garnet Schlieren locality, it's classic because you're basically looking at flash freezes and hydrous differentiates all in the same outcrop. So I, help me understand this figure here. I, I'm, you've got the term hydrothermalite up there, fourth rock type, and you're showing, <laughs> you're showing where it occurs. In the... Yeah, we're trying to figure out how to fit it into the classic uh, three, three rock type triumvirate, you know, of sedimentary metamorphic and igneous. Gotcha, okay. I see, okay, now I see. So now we have this hybrid rock in between them. Uh, and that's that's a magmato hydrothermal regime there, and then, so then the, all the way around it we have hydrothermal. Right. Those are metal deposits. 
So how would that biotite rock fit into into this system? Where are you taking that from? A sedimentary rock into a metamorphic rock? I'd put it up between that igneous and metamorphic. Okay. So you're coming from a hydrated peridotite? And no, this is a hydrated uh, granite system rock. To granodiorite rock. It's it's basically shows an intimate spatial relationship with this. Uh, pink biotite granite phase that you'll see. And you're increasing in there. increasing in water as you're making your way to the metamorphic? Yeah. So, yeah, it's basic. See, water is the most incompatible component of a magma. So it wants to come out. Any kind of depressurization effect at all outcomes of water. And whatever is sitting there with it, like zinc or whatever, it's going to come with it. And that gets back to the original parent magma chemistry. That mm -hmm. determines what the trace metals are. I thought those, um, some of the photos that you had of the, um, of the garnet, uh, Schlaren, and, and the, uh, the rip up, you know, the flap of it. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, where you in the pegmatite. Yeah, correct. I mean, it's wild, isn't it? What do you? What's your vision of the time factor? Well, obviously, the because those things are inclusions in the pegmatite. There, you had a flash freezing event that made the banded garnet schlieren. But how long? I mean, so I don't, know if I you, don't think if it took long at all. Saw this, but so he's got these these layers. He's garnetite. He, he's actually stood on it. Uh, okay. He and the pegmatite it. comes up and it's the pegmatite has literally ripped up a, a piece of that layer and it's rotated it up and it's a flap that's in the Yeah, process. but the rotation was picking up the shear sense. Yeah, I, I need to look at that. That was again. actually imbricated. Right. There's other were ones there multiple there. flaps that were imbricated? Yeah, there's smaller ones running around it. Not necessarily right there, but in other parts of the outcrop, they're all oriented sort of in the same way. You see things like this in turbidite systems. Yeah. This is the magmatic. <laughs> with these, with yeah. These on echelon. Well, yeah. Rip or or uh, stream blades in a stream channel. So yeah. Imbrication. Imbrication. A axis, B axis, imbrication. Yeah. 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 Right. That's right. That's so same, what's same the significance point. up at the garnet schlarin with these fl flaps and the timing? Well, he's calling them flaps, but uh, they're rotated, bladed, rectangular inclusions. But it was ripped. But it was ripped off. I yeah. Mean, oh, it, there's it was, no question. It was a layer one time, and this piece of it is broken off, yeah. and it's entrained now or into in, what in, the in next the rocket fraction into, into the pegmatite. <laughs> so that's. You stood on it. You I, hey, it's been a while, Stan. <laughs> and oh, by the way, uh, yeah, just learning. I would I forget too, so <laughs> not to worry. Well, but, you know, I have gone up to that outcrop and seen different things for twenty years. My whole but how much years. time from yeah the the inception of the injection of that pegmatite to the ripping up and and, and rotating of it? I'm going to bet that whole goddamn thing. And all the fractionation event you're seeing there went down in less than a hundred years. That's see, that's that's just interesting. I mean, I mean, I I can't 
begin to imagine just wild guess everything that but if you force me and feeds put a you gun in, at me and leads to that I'll that say opinion. that but, but it's interesting to hear that I mean that's a Oh, you know, that happens tomorrow. That's a moment in just a fraction of well, geologic it, to time. To me, my yeah. analogy there is all the shit that hit the fan when Mount St. Helens blew. And basically you remove that, that cap. Temperature, and, yeah, or pressure release. Depressurization. And, yeah. And and for me, everybody talks about temperature composition space yeah. when they play with their little phase diagrams. To me, pressure is the big. So your your volcanic event constrains the, the time, you know. Yeah, that literally went down in minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an important concept, important idea. Yeah. And the problem is that people uh, think, oh, you got all these big crystals and these pegmatites, and all that must time. be slow cooling, right? Bullshit. Wow. It just happened really quick, and those things grew. It's like. Big, seeing those big fat ice crystals on your windshield in the winter, they just go flash yeah. freeze wow. into these big ass. And and in if geology, it's got the space and yeah, the elemental exactly. And and water provides and the water. a crystal mush that allows big crystal growth. And uh, uh, the flash freezing texture in geology is something called spin effects that you see in commodities, those yeah. big olivine flash freezing yeah. things. Yeah. Hmm. Which are really cool. How about the gypsum crystals in uh, what's the cave that's got the gigantic gypsum? Oh, Nica, yeah, huh? right down in Mexico. Yeah. Those things. Same are, thing. You I think, think that those grew rapidly? Yeah. Holy yeah. smokes! And then that those and caves originally that had a brine. In them. What? What triggered that rapid crystallization? Yeah. What structurally is on timeline there? Well, they came into a big open space. It was a dissolution cavern, and and uh, and and it was that what you had was a really gypsiferous, oversaturated brine that that wanted to make gypsum when it saturated. And so it's like when you're doing your little uh, five-year-old crystal experiment when you're oversaturating a fluid, and when it hits the saturation point, it just flash freezes. Yeah, that's what happens. Okay, so you these make things happen fast. Once you hit the right set of conditions, then you have, then you roll over to the next equal equilibration really quickly. Oh, yeah. But it yeah. all happens when the conditions get just right. So, yeah. another analogy is between green schist metamorphism and amphibolite metamorphism. Hmm. And once you get the right PTs, oh. you just take that mineral assemblage within minutes and just drive drive it right into the next assemblage. Not minutes, but maybe that takes a little more time. But, no, but rapid. Yeah, relatively. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Wow. I mean, time is such a an interesting thing about yeah. time in the yeah. geologic context. And, yeah. But I mean, a lot of people have, you know, when oh. we grew up in petrology, everybody was thinking much on uh, much slower timelines. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a victim of that. You know, I mean. And I, sure I got away. And, and one of the things that led me away from that was that exact outcrop that we're talking about up there at Mount Lemon at Summerhaven. So is time relative to energy? What? Why? Geologic time. No. Slow versus For me, fast. that's another myth that people plug time into the energetics. You know, it's. Yeah. P and T, pressure and temperature, are not are energetics. Yeah. 
Right. Time is not. No. Right. And that's a real problem in the oil patch because they multiply energetics times time. And then you mean in, in a thermal maturity? Yeah, exactly. All you need is one degree over 100 million years, and you got equivalent to cranking it to 400. You don't multiply it. And you're like, uh, okay. Because you, you, we debate. You're right. Like that's why we are here. That's why I'm like I have my curiosity and I want my answers and I want to debate because I lose sleep over stuff like that. Right? I that so I take it to the uh, higher personally. Well, it's not personally, but with a sense of urgency, certainly. And and I love that though, because I I do I do it with everybody I know, every geologist I know, and they come over to my house and we're sitting behind that fire or around that fire, we're talking real processes that we're looking at and trying to understand mm -hmm. and when someone wants to brush something under the rug and and use a concept like well it's, you know cooking carrageen is a lot like cooking a cookie in an oven <laughs> and you're going no you know i'm i am not going there on that analogy that's mm -hmm. i don't see that at all i don't believe in that at all there's another process going on and here's maybe a more logical way to think about it and then they turn around and go, you know, they completely shut down because I have a new idea mm -hmm. or I'm expressing a new idea. Mm -hmm. That's well, when that's the tension resistance to change. Yeah. And that's where that tension really goes. And then it starts feeling personal. Right. You feel like you're <laughs> you're attacking them. And I'm like, hey, I'm not smarter than you. I'm just coming at it from a different point of view that I think makes sense. And I want to talk about that. No, they're getting a little too political here now <laughs> oh be careful be careful that's right and and hey at the end of the day it all washes down with some with some beers and and it's all cordial and, yeah and it, it we, we are on a progressive timeline that's right. you know not relative to our own so you know we yeah but i love that competition and i love that combativeness and in these questions you have and and uh your curiosity i'm I'm excited to... to, to but it's the it. old activation energy. You need a certain PT regime. And depending on the compositions of what you're playing with, they're going to have... There's a reaction threshold. And once you get to that hump and you get over that hump... Um, bingo. Then the reaction happens and it react happens fast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that. Probably applies to explosive technology. Well, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, you said something interesting the other day was, you know, we're we're sitting here and what are we trillions of atoms, you know, made up in these these water sacks uh sim simply we have the energy inside of us. Water banks. You know, an atomic bomb, you know, one atom being split. Well, that's E equals MC squared shit. Incredible power and 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 we have trillions of those that are making up, you know, our thoughts and our actions and wasn't there a movie about that? Yeah. Soylent Green or something like that? Didn't they harvest the energy from humans? Uh, yeah. Like that? We need to do that. No, maybe it wasn't Soylent Green. That was where they ate. ate uh, we the ate the humans. Yeah, oh, ate the humans. no, I'm not interested in that. But um, what's the other movie called? I don't know. But there was a movie where they harnessed the energy uh, that, that you're talking about. And, they, you know, it was like you had a, a power cell over here. It was just a whole bunch of humans lined up. And, <laughs> And they have Just wires coming them out in there. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a whole lot better than a prison. <laughs> it wasn't a solar cell. It was a human cell. It was like, you know, yeah. uh, this is getting good. By the way, uh, big lizards ran over me. Uh, and I, I, I apologize. We couldn't get into the oyster story. Maybe uh, maybe there's a follow-up. <laughs> We've whipped uh, the appetite for them. Right. Literally. At GSA, maybe. Or, uh, Unfortunately, at there are no oysters in this town to eat. 
<laughs> you know, I feel really remiss. I was, I, I seriously thought ahead of time, but I just didn't get Should've to it of, of bringing them some with me. Is that right? Because you're Scottish, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the original Oyster Club started in the late 1700s in Edinburgh, Scotland, mm -hmm. by the likes of Hutton. Mm -hmm. What? Hall, yeah. Playfair. And these guys would get together. Drink beer, eat oysters, and talk science. And right. That was, that was oh, the original those guys, oyster club. Those guys invented geology, basically. That's, That's right. Yeah. What the? Yeah. Now, I got to say, I freaking can't stand yeah. oysters, guys. Uh, well, well I'll eat oysters. yours for you. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> you won't have any problem with me. I'll eat. I'll, you're going to, we'll fight over it. And I'll drink your guys' beer. Next time, I'll bring a bushel. <laughs> and we'll go out there. We'll park with some beers. And right we'll on. just go to that. I got my right knife. I, I, right it goes on. with me everywhere. So. We're just getting started. Started. we're just getting started so. right on yeah right on Lou. thank you for joining thank you thank you right on i'll Honor give you a left hand like i said so great